Hollywood's most glamorous stars and other low scoundrels are banding together to battle new anti-abortion laws in states they heard of once but never actually believed existed. The stars say it's appalling that these laws forbid abortion even in cases of rape, incest, or a producer knocking up some starlet on the casting couch and then having to actually give her the part he promised her because otherwise she might give birth and sue him for child support. Hollywood producer Fairly Scabrous, in a statement made to the three mirrors in his walk-in closet, said, quote, Hollywood has the best moral compass because it has compassion. Those are the immortal words spoken by Harvey Weinstein as he was trying to get Roman Polanski off the hook for raping a 13-year-old girl. And of course, we no longer support Harvey because he can't greenlight a picture anymore, but I'm speaking symbolically about all the Harvey Weinsteins who are still out there and could end up in prison if any of these abortion laws go into effect and make it impossible for them to deny they did what they obviously did." Unquote. Studio executive Deeply Scabbers, no relation to Fairley, issued a statement from an undisclosed location saying, quote, it's a woman's right to choose to get her employer out of a jam by disposing of the evidence before his wife finds out how he's been casting his pictures, unquote. Film star Holly Vacant told reporters she would be boycotting anti-abortion states like Georgia and instead will film her next movie in Northern Ireland, where abortion is almost completely illegal, but her bosses get big tax breaks. Ms. Vacant says this is not hypocritical because boycotting Georgia will sound virtuous so she can continue to get work, whereas boycotting Northern Ireland might cost the studios money and thus make her unemployable. Anti-abortion states say they're sorry to lose Hollywood's business, but at least now the local women will be safe. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is zippity-zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Saurabh Amari of the New York Post, who was a guest on this show, launched an attack on National Review Never Trumper David French, also a guest on this show, which has now become a wild debate between right-wingers on whether or not we're fighting for a free and open society or just trying to crush our political enemies, see them driven before us, and hear the lamentations of their women. Amari says that David French, who disapproves of Trump on grounds of character as well as other grounds, is trying to beat the left while accepting the left's idea that autonomy, personal choice, is the highest value. In other words, French wants to preserve the idea of absolute freedom of individual action that the left has used to chase God from the public square, persecute Christian cake bakers, and to infest our school with destructive ideas about sexuality. Amari writes, quote, Progressives understand that culture war means discrediting their opponents and weakening or destroying their institutions. Conservatives should approach the culture war with a similar realism. Civility and decency are secondary values. They regulate compliance with an established order and orthodoxy. We should seek to use these values to enforce our order and our orthodoxy, not pretend that they could ever be neutral. To recognize that enmity is real is its own kind of moral duty. Amari suggests that government action may be needed to fight the culture war with the aim of defeating the enemy and enjoying the spoils in the form of a public square reordered to the common good and ultimately the highest good. 
French strikes back and says his philosophy includes the consistent and unyielding defense of civil liberties, including the civil liberties of your political opponents, both in law and in culture. That means defending the legal rights of a radical leftist professor with the same vigor that you defend an embattled Christian conservative. And if you despise corporate censorship and corporate efforts to punish dissent, that means supporting not just libertarian Googlers who question Silicon Valley orthodoxy, but also kneeling football players who use the national anthem as an occasion for public protest. Who's right? You've come to the only place that has all the answers. Every single one. <laughs> I'll give them to you in just a second. But first, I can now tell you, these ring doorknobs work great. On Saturday, I went to see my pal, Jonathan Hay, who works here. I don't, I have no idea what he does, but he has some job here at the Daily Wire. And he has these ring uh, security all over his home. And I rang the doorbell and he can see me on a ring doorbell. He can see me right on his phone and communicate with me right on his phone, no matter where he is. And he said, why are you here? And I said, to smoke your cigars and drink your scotch. And he wouldn't open the door. So this ring really works uh, very well. Their mission is to make neighborhoods safer. You might already know about their smart video doorbells and cameras that protect millions of people everywhere. Ring helps you stay connected to your home anywhere in the world. So if there's a package delivery surprise visitor, you'll get an alert and be able to see, hear, and speak to them all from your phone. That's thanks to the HD video and two-way audio features on Ring devices. And as a devices. And as a listener, you have a special offer on a Ring starter kit available right now with a video doorbell and the motion-activated floodlight cam. The starter kit has everything you need to start building a Ring <coughs> ring of security around your home. Just go to ring.com slash Clavin. That's ring.com slash Clavin. And if I show up at your door, you'll be able to say, wait a minute, you're the one I wanted to ask. How do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Hey, I'm also uh, thrilled to tell you that I finished, uh, I almost killed me, I finished the third uh, novel in the Another Kingdom series, which will become the third podcast in Another Kingdom and the final, the end of the trilogy. Uh, it's great. And um, it was it was incredibly exhausting, but I will uh, show it to my wife and then she'll give me uh, some notes and then I'll tell her that she's wrong about everything and then I'll do everything she said. I, I, there should be a way to shorten that process, but I can't figure out what it is. So <clears throat> listen, I am always unhappy to see right-wingers fighting. I think that the, our opponents are so bad, so crazy, uh, so vicious in the way they fight uh, that we should be united and not fight each other uh, personally, certainly. Uh, we should debate ideas, no question about it, but we should stay off each other personally. So I want to say at the top of this that I thought uh, Saurabh Amari did the wrong thing. In, in His article was in First Things, and he called it Against David Frenchism. And that's not the way we should be having debates. It, re it really is not. It really matters. It really matters. because you. And then later he said, you know, he said, oh, well, I was just going after his ideas. Fine. But his, there are ideas that uh, David maintains that you can attack in general, even quoting him, even saying he's one of the people you disagree with, without labeling it David Frenchism, which immediately makes it personal. And the fight, of course, on Twitter immediately became very stupid uh, and very personal. And he included things like he said at one point, this is, uh, you know, this is in this article in First Things. Um, he says, it isn't easy to critique the persona of someone as nice as French. Uh, then again, it is in part that earnest and insistently polite quality of his that I find unsuitable to the depth of the present crisis facing religious conservatives, which is why I recently quipped on Twitter that there is no polite David Frenchian third way around the cultural civil war. And I, I, I totally disagree with this. 
I've known plenty of nice people uh, that you can't get around with a, a back, that you can't dig up with a backhoe. And it's part of this kind of fake, um, yeah, I'm not accusing Amari of this, but I think part, that part, that idea is part of this fake macho uh, stuff that has grown up on the right. Uh, I hate this stuff. Um, I hate this talk about alpha males and, and so forth. Alpha male is a category of ape. I have known many a wimpy little guy who can stand like an absolute pillar of stone uh, when he is assaulted and attacked for his opinions and his beliefs. And I've known many tough you know, guys that I wouldn't want to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with in an alley uh, who collapse the minute uh, there's social pressure against them. Uh, and yet they seem like alpha males if you're uh, judging um, if you're judging in the in ape terms, uh, integrity, uh, rock solid integrity comes in all kinds of shapes, all kinds of forms, and all kinds of uh, people. And you can be incredibly nice and incredibly nice and polite and incredibly immovable when it comes to matters of principle. And uh, the li human life is far, far too complicated to be judged on ape terms. And I just hate that faux macho stuff uh, that uh, grows up on the right about this. But, but they do have philosophical differences and differences of position. I have said before, and I said it when he was here on the show, I feel uh, French's horror at Donald Trump's character is overblown, and I feel that it is actually a problem. I think it's a problem for right-wingers to have guy. You know, he's, he's hard. He's a, a devoted evangelical Christian. He is... Uh, French is absolutely horrified that evangelical Christians are supporting a guy who raw dogs porn stars and is cheating on his wife and does all this. And, and he said, I mean, one of the reasons I invited him on the show was he said that alone would cause me never to vote for him. My problem with this is that this, let me show you the opposition. Uh, the candidates, the left, the Democrat candidates were in California talking to the California Democratic Convention, one of them being, of course, uh, John Hickenlooper, who was the former governor of Colorado. And here's the welcome he got from the California Democrats as he warned them against socialism. If we want to beat Donald Trump and achieve big progressive goals, socialism is not the answer. I was reelected. I was reelected in a purple state in 2014, one of the worst years for Democrats in a quarter century. I was, we shouldn't try to achieve universal coverage by removing private insurance from over 150 million Americans. We should not try to tackle climate change by guaranteeing every American a government job. Hold on, hold on. As the Democratic Party, we have to create a vision for this country. I want to give Americans a reason to look forward to tomorrow. <laughs> Being booed uh, for opposing socialism. When that is the opponent, when that is your opponent, uh, you do, ha you know, arguing about whether Trump slept with somebody, to me, is jejun. It is, it's ridiculous. You know, it, it, that is not the important thing. He, you want to dislike his character. You want to condemn the things he did fine. But... The, the fact is, the fact is, if you had to choose as a, as a matter of character between John McCain and Donald Trump, I would choose John McCain. But John McCain was a lousy senator, and Trump has so far been a pretty good president. I, I think a very good president in some ways, and I think that that's what we hired them to do. Some people are not nice people, and yet they do a good job, and this is what we hired them to do. He's not our daddy. He's not our pal. And, you know, 
the, the thing is, people always reference Hitler. If, if you don't know your history, Adolf Hitler was a man made completely out of straw that people used to beat each other's uh, political opponents with. But he was also, there was also another Adolf Hitler, people don't know, who was an actual real human being and a psychopath who led a country into world war uh, and wiped out, nearly wiped out an entire race of people and was uh, actually uh, one of the great villains in history. And people... Uh, when he rose up to fight the communists, there were a lot of people said, you know, who said, well, he is a vulgarian and he is awful, but we've got to use him to fight the communists. And people compare that to Donald Trump. The people who hated Hitler as a vulgarian uh, hated him for the wrong reason. He wrote a book saying, I am a fascist. I believe in destroying your democracy. I believe in destroying Jewish people. I believe in, you know, in, in starting a war. He wrote a book. He said he was going to do it, and then he did what he did. That was the reason you opposed Hitler. And Trump has done none of those things. He represents none of those things. Outside of left-wing media, none of that is in Trump's agenda. He's just a business guy who wants this country to work like a business in a competitive fashion. Uh, he has done a good job in that. And and he's also a vulgarian. He, he is. There's no question about it. So their argument, you know, so, so French is wrong about that. I mean, Amari is wrong to personalize this. Um, French is wrong uh, in his... Uh, just he's, he's too delicate about uh, Trump's faults. Hey, let me talk to you first about, uh, for a minute about Big Token, because I love this. This is a new app that lets you share data about yourself, your interests and habits, and then get paid for it. Because right now, you know your data is going to all these companies, and you're paying them to take it from you. So there, here is Big Token, which will help you with that and turn that around. Here's how it works. You first, you download the app, you sign up for a free Big Token account, and next, complete actions to earn points. You can answer surveys, check into locations, connect your social accounts and more, and then you can redeem your points for rewards such as cash and gift cards or donate your earnings to charity. You choose what data you share with Big to Token and then get paid for it. You can also get more points for referring friends and family. Your data is always secure in Big Token. Based on the data you choose to share, you will be placed into specific ad groups and brands will buy access to those ad groups for use in personal advertising. And the best part, you get paid. If you want to start earning money for your data, go to the App Store or Google Play, search for Big Token, B-I-G-T-O-K-E-N, that's one word, download the app and sign up. Make sure you use my referral code, Clavin. Again, search Big Token in the App Store or Google Play, download the app, and use my referral code, Clavin, to sign up. Claim your data and get paid and find out how to spell Clavin. And maybe they'll even pay you for that. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. So Amari says, supports Trump saying, with a kind of animal instinct, Trump understood what was missing from mainstream Frenchian conservatism. His instinct has been to shift the cultural and political mix ever so slightly away from autonomy, above all, toward order, continuity, and social cohesion. He believes that the political community and not just the church family and individual has its own legitimate scope of action. He believes it can help protect the citizen from transnational forces beyond his control. And French's answer to that was Donald Trump wouldn't even fully grasp what that paragraph means, much less recognize it as a governing philosophy. He's a man of prodigious personal appetites, a man who proudly hangs a Playboy cover on the wall of his office, a man who marries and then marries again and again, yet still feels compelled to find porn stars to bed. Uh, in his essay, Amari condemns the man who claims autonomy above all else. He is, without knowing it, condemning Trump. So this, to me, is a kind of a... 
minor part of this argument. Uh, one person on Twitter condemned French for condemning Trump's infidelities because French enjoys Game of Thrones and there are naked women in Game of Thrones. That's how absurd the debate goes. I personally condemn uh, David French for looking a lot like me and yet occasionally disagreeing with me, which I find just incredibly confusing. How am I supposed to know what I think if a guy who looks just like me disagrees with me? Um, <clears throat> but, but here's where I think both of them are wrong and the important stuff they're wrong about. French is right about this. If we're not fighting for American freedom, if we're not fighting for a, a pluralistic society where the person we disagree with has just as much right to speak as we do, we are not fighting for ev anything. If government action, look, Every, every one of the founders said our constitution only works for religious people. If we are no longer religious, I've said this before, we've already lost. You cannot chain people to their freedom. You cannot force them to believe in God, not our God, not the Christian God. You cannot force them to believe in that God. And so you really do have, we really are fighting for, uh, you know, plural plurality. We're fighting for everybody to have a, the ability to speak. And, and Amari is wrong. If you stop fighting for that, you're not fighting for anything. You are no longer fighting for the fruit, the political fruit of Christian belief. Look, the moral consensus has collapsed. In the 50s, we had more or less a moral consensus, what was right, what good the good life looked like. There were people who dissented and they were allowed to dissent, but we had a, a moral consensus. When that consensus collapses, right? You have to rebuild it. French is right. You have to rebuild it through the culture because you cannot force it on people without losing the purpose of what you're doing. And the reason is we're the good guys. We fight for different things than the bad guys. <clears throat> the bad guys are not saying they're in favor of abortion. They're saying you in your state cannot pass a law against abortion. We're not fighting to outlaw abortion. We are fighting for the right to outlaw abortion in our state. It is a very, very different thing. I'm not fighting for conservative news, but for fair news. I don't want there to be conservative news. I'm happy for the press to go after Donald Trump if for eight years they also went after Obama. They didn't. They don't. It's, it's unfair. That's not the press I want. It's a, but it's a different fight. They're fighting to control the news. I'm fighting to have the news be fair. Those are two different things. And French is right. Culture is the only answer. We, you cannot force people <coughs> to be free. <coughs> you cannot force people to love their freedom. But, but French is wrong in that he does not understand that force has already come into play. Force has already been used. And, they, and Amari's right about this. They have used the principle of autonomy to chase God out of the public square. The federal government has no right to come into a local courthouse and say they can't put the Ten Commandments there. The ACLU should not be able to frighten people with lawsuits. They, they should be able to frighten people with lawsuits, but the people should know that those lawsuits will fail when they say you've got to take a prayer out of school. That's absurd. Local look. The federal government's purpose is to preserve individual autonomy, but local governments and community governments have more sway because people can move and people live in those governments and have more direct control over those governments. That was the point. The more, the closer the government is to you, the more power it can have. So a community can say, yeah, we're not going to allow uh, cross-dressers to use the opposite bathroom. And, and Barack Obama should have no say in what they do in that community. That was the purpose of our Constitution. And, and French is wrong to not understand how violently and completely the left has, has taken over the culture in those terms by stacking the court with people who say, well, yeah, you had an idea and that idea might become a product and you might sell that product into another uh, state so your idea is regulated by interstate trade. You know, 
what's his name? Brett Stevens, uh, who is uh, Amari's mentor, but disagrees with him, right? He wrote a piece kind of attacking Amari for all this. But Brett Stevens was one of the guys who pointed out that we who operate under the First Amendment are protected a lot of times from the regulatory tyranny and the social tyranny of the left. And the left has used every means at its disposal to shut us up. I don't want to shut them up. But I do want to shuck off those chains that they have put on, the mental chains of political correctness, the chains of blacklisting that have uh, uh, completely cleared Hollywood of conservatives and the universities of conservatives. David French has fought heroic battles to allow Christians, uh, heroic legal battles, to allow Christians to continue to speak in universities. But what good are those battles when you can't get hired as a Christian at a university? You can't get hired as a conservative as a university. Donald Trump became necessary because the left has not played fair. <clears throat> that, is, that is the point. They have not played fair. And the answer to that is not, oh, now will not play fair. The answer to that is to fight them back in, with force with political force, not physical force, but with political force in the places where they have not been fair. It's not fair, it's not American that the EPA can dis decide that your uh, swimming pool is a public waterway, then arrest you for swimming in it, then try you, then put you in prison without any reference to due process or any other court outside of the EPA. <clears throat> Those are the regulations that need to be destroyed with force. Those are the things that need to be destroyed with force. Blacklisting, uh, the keeping the, the federal government telling people whether they can have the Ten Commandments in their schools. All of these things have to be absolutely crushed, and they can only be crushed by somebody like Donald Trump who has the raw uh, boorishness to not be deterred by being called racist, racist, racist every single day. Show me the other Republican uh, politician who can stand up to that kind of uh, abuse all the time, and I will vote for him. You know, I mean, just show me the guy who will stand up and, and spit in their eye the way Trump does, and I won't support Trump anymore. But if it takes supporting a guy like Trump to stop them from the uh, absolutely brutal oppression of free speech, the throwing you off Twitter, the, the I mean, where are the suits against Twitter? Where I, Hopefully the DOJ is looking at Google. But all of these places where we have been banned from the public square, where our ideas have been chased out by federal power instead of lo letting local governments decide, instead of letting schools decide how they will be run, those are the places where we need more ferocity uh, to fight back. But what we're not fighting for is we're not fighting for the right to chase them out. I think that Amari is utterly wrong about that. He was accused of wanting a theocracy, and people said, oh, you're just saying that because he, he was an Iranian, now converted to Catholicism. But no, I mean, that is where he was going. He's going eventually. Eventually, if you if use the government to coerce the public square, uh, to recognize the, high, if the federal government to coerce the, the public square, uh, to the highest good, eventually you are going to have a theocracy. If you live in San Francisco and you want transvestites reading to your kids in the library, that's San Francisco. That's fine. But if you live in another place, and in Nashville, and you don't want that, the left should not be able to come there and sue you and force you to have your community live up to San Francisco standards. That's why I so oppose what Hollywood is doing in this abortion debate, not because they don't have the right to their opinion. They live in California. Let them live in California. Let Georgians live in Georgia. Some of this, this brings me to this amazing William Barr interview that I didn't get a chance to talk about because I'm not on in... Uh, on Fridays, 
What an amazing interview with CBS's Jan Crawford, and I have to give her kudos. She really knew what she was doing. She actually understood the case that she was talking to him about the Mueller. He was reacting. This is the attorney general reacting to the Mueller statement, uh, and Jan Crawford brought up all the Democrat talking points, but she allowed Barr to answer fully and say what he had to say. And you know it was a good interview because New York Magazine ran a piece by Jonathan Chait, the leftist writer, in terrifying interview, William Barr goes full MAGA. I mean, basically, this is this is the, the left's attitude to William Barr and toward all of us. This is cut number 13. Just a few things that I want to tell don't you. When speak. we first met, no, I was no, little, don't speak. Please don't speak. Please don't speak. No, 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 go. Go, gentle Scorpio, go. Your Pisces wishes you every happy return. Just one. Don't speak. <laughs> that is, that's the left or all of us, but certainly to Attorney General Barr. Barr was asked what, you know, about investigating the investigators. He has now started an inquiry into how this FBI look at uh, Donald Trump uh, got started, and he gave his reasons. This is cut number eight. Like many other people who are familiar with intelligence activities, I had a lot of questions about what was going on. I assumed I'd, I'd get answers when I went in, and I have not gotten answers that are at all satisfactory and, and in fact, have probably more questions. And that some of the facts uh, that, that I've learned uh, don't hang together with the official explanations of what happened. What do you mean by that? That's, that's all I really will say. Things are just not jiving. And he said, he went on to say that he thought there was timeline problems. When did people find out that there was no Russian collision and all this? But he wouldn't go on and tell the details. But that, that seems fair to me. And it seems amazing. I mean, he, William Barr was so uh, wise and insightful in this interview that he sometimes sounded like me. Uh, he said things that you basically hear on this show. Uh, this, we only have this on audio. They wouldn't put it out uh, on, on video. But this is uh, cut number nine. He talks about how he came into the CIA. It's a long cut, but it's worth listening to, and because it's where I'm coming from as well. He came into the CIA when the press was raving about the CIA investigating peace groups and, and the FBI investigating peace groups and civil rights groups because they had contact with Russia and they were in, in, keep, in, in contact with the communists and wanted to bring communism here. And so the FBI was investigating and the press went nuts over that and investigated that when he was in the CIA bar. And so he is shocked to find the press suddenly go so quiescent. Here he is. I joined the CIA almost 50 years ago as an intern. And this was during the Vietnam uh, civil rights era. And there had been a lot of, there were a lot of pending investigations of the CIA. And, and there, there, the issues were, you know, what, what was it, when was it appropriate for intelligence agencies? The FBI, too, was under investigation. You know, the penetration of civil rights groups, because at the time there was concerns about contacts with, you know, communist-funded front groups and things like that. And, you know, how, how deeply could you get into civil rights groups or anti-Vietnam War groups? A lot of these groups were in contact with uh, foreign adversaries. They had some... Uh, contact with front organizations and so forth, and and there were a lot of rules put in place, and those rules are under the Attorney General. Uh, the Attorney General's responsibility is to make sure that these powers are not used to uh, tread upon First Amendment activity, and uh, that certainly was, was a big part of my formative years of dealing with those issues. The fact that today people just seem to brush aside the idea that it's okay 
to, uh, you know, to, to engage in these activities against a political campaign is stunning to me, especially when the media doesn't seem to think that it's worth looking into. They're supposed to be the watchdogs of, uh, you know, our civil liberties. I mean, it, that is where I'm coming from. The press is supposed to be. This is the, sh the mo because we don't know yet what the Obama administration did. We do not know. And so it's entirely possible that they did some things uh, with a good, with good intentions and knew what they were doing. It does become, to use Barr's words, appalling when you start to see the bias and the struck page, uh, you know, backs and back and forths. Uh, but but I, it, it's just a, the most appalling thing right now to me is a press, the press which makes a living uh, releasing, uh, you know, anonymous sources from the intelligence community now suddenly doesn't want, uh, you know, bar to uh, declassify information that will tell us what happened. That is just amazing. He goes on to say, he says a lot of things. He says Mueller could have reached a decision, uh, even if the uh, regulations say you can't indict a sitting president, he could have reached a decision on that. Uh, and, and one of my favorite parts, first, just let's put, put up this. Adam Schiff, that you can just tell how terrified the weasels are. And, and if they, when I say weasel, I mean my congressman, my personal congressman, Adam Schiff, who has been a McCarthyite from the beginning, who has just said, oh, I, I have seen proof of collusion. And it's all, and he virtually called, uh, in one interview, virtually called Trump a Russian asset. And now suddenly, suddenly he is shocked, shocked to find William Barr using the kind of language he is using. This is cut number one. You don't talk cavalierly about intelligence agencies or the FBI spying on presidential campaigns. Uh, and given how much he misled the country about Mueller's own report and findings, uh, we can sadly expect that given this power to declassify information now, uh, he will do so in a selective way designed to mislead the country in the president's service. Uh, and there may be no opportunity for rebuttal this time. There will be no further Mueller report that will set uh, straight uh, this uh, selective uh, declassification that he may put into effect. Uh, and the fact that he will say he doesn't want to speculate about what went on early in the investigation, but he's willing to speculate that it was spying uh, tells you all you need to know about how disingenuous he's being with the country. What a creep this guy is. This is the guy who said, oh, yes, I have proof, but I can't tell you. I can't, but I will tell you, but I can't tell you now. But, oh, but I have proof. But, and now he's saying that Barr, who used the word spying, who said it's a perfectly good English word, and it means what, it, what happened to Trump. He was spied on. There's no question. They sent people with a wire out to get him, you know, so that he was spied on. And saying, But saying, we do have to spy on people. We just don't know if they did the right thing. And, and to have Adam Schiff, the chief McCarthyite on the, on the left, uh, calling that somehow wrong and somehow abusive la of language, absolutely, absolutely uh, intolerable just, just and disgusting. However, Barr was, my favorite quote in this whole interview was when Barr was asked about his reputation. Uh, um, the reporter, um, sorry, I lost her name, Jan Crawford, uh, asked him, she said to him, you know, you've always had a great reputation on the left and right. Why? Because he's a man of integrity. So the left and right has always supported him. But now he's suddenly under attack. I mean, the New Yorker had an absolutely awful uh, cover showing him polishing, shining uh, Donald Trump's shoes. And that's basically what they're talking about. Now he's going full MAGA, and this is why he's doing everything. Couldn't possibly be, because he's calling him like he sees it. And she asked him how he feels about his reputation. Uh, this was a great quote. This is a uh, six. 
We live in a, a crazy hyper-partisan period of time, and I knew that uh, it would only be a matter of time if, you, if I was behaving responsibly and calling them as I see them, uh, that I'd be attacked, because nowadays people don't care about the merits or the substance. They only care about who it helps, you know, who benefits, whether my side benefits or the other side benefits. Everything is gauged by politics. And uh, as I say, that's antithetical to the way the department runs. And any attorney general in this period is going to end up losing a lot of political capital. And I realize that. And that's one of the reasons that I ultimately was persuaded that maybe I should take it on, because I, I, I think at my stage in life, it really doesn't make any difference. You're at the end of your career? Or? I'm at the end of my career. I've, you know. Does I, it, but, I mean, it's a reputation that you've worked your whole life on, though. Yeah, but everyone dies, and I'm not, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I don't believe in the Homeric idea that, you know, immortality comes by, you know, having odes sung about you over the centuries, you know. So you don't regret taking the job? No. I love it. In other words, I'm going to die. They can't touch me. I don't care what they think of me. I'm going to do the right thing. He is. That is the way we fight this battle. We fight it by doing the right thing fearlessly, and we fight for the right for everyone to do what they think is right and for communities to form themselves as they see fit, states to govern themselves as they see fit, and the federal government to keep out of it just to protect our liberties. That makes us the good guys. i got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube, but come to dailywire.com and subscribe. You can watch the whole show there. You can be in the mailbag. It's uncomfortable in there, but you get to ask questions. I solve all your problems. It's worth a lousy 10 bucks a month, a lousy 100 bucks for the entire year. Plus, we got Michael Knowles coming up. I mean, all right. Forget about it. <laughs> Come over to dailywire.com. Knowles. Good to see you. It's good to see you, pal. Long time no see. <laughs> actually, actually, now that my, my throat is somewhat back, we've actually been able to share a, an occasional cigar. Finally. Again. Yeah, I'm going to make up I'm for a, lost time. That was, you know, this this book, i got to tell you, this Another Kingdom thing, this almost killed me. It, it was both physical and, men, you know, the mental stuff, it turns your brain to mush. But the physical stuff, too, you just get worn down. This is my favorite kind of work because people come up to me and very often they'll say, oh, I love your show. You'll say, oh, really? You yeah. like it? They'll say, no, not your, not your show. I love Another <laughs> Kingdom that you do. And I'll say, oh, that's great. And obviously yeah. the, the audio book is doing well. The, the yep. printed book is doing well. And it's the kind of work where I come in and I just sort of read the words, and then I get to leave and have a cigar. And you do all the actual work for now years. Well, you've, you've got a great part this time. You, you, Excellent. You do. Yeah, it's, it's a good story. I, I'm really happy with it. I'm really happy with the weirdest thing. It's been the weirdest thing because it's been all like kind of given to me. Kind of, yeah. it, it makes a great big 1,000-page story. Well, when they all, all the three pieces are put together. It really does. And each story gets is different and richer and more interesting. So it, it is. I mean, I love yeah. doing the second season yeah. more than I love doing I, the I love the season. second season too, yeah. 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 It's it's like The Godfather. Hopefully part three <laughs> won't be like part three of The Godfather. Yeah, but that's I, true. <laughs> that's true. But at least we, if we can if we can kill the Pope or try <laughs> to save yeah. the Pope. The, I, I always love that. The, the mafia saves, the noble mafia saves the Pope. I didn't even know who to root for at that point. Uh, so let's talk about the last time a president was under fire like this, mm -hmm. let's talk about Watergate. Because everyone's talking about Spygate. <laughs> yeah. Spy, what is, right. the left is denying that any spying happened in 2016 in the Trump campaign. <clears throat> we know that there was spying. Uh, the Attorney General right. of the United That's States right. said very yeah. clearly there was spying. Yeah. The question, of course, is whether the spying was appropriate, whether it was adequately predicated. And it, th there are all these comparisons to Watergate. 
Spygate is much, much worse than Watergate. The, the spying of the Obama There's administration, no about there is no question, <laughs> yeah. it is so much worse. I'm, if it were, if it's shown to be illegal. In, yeah. If it's shown to be <clears throat> improper, inappropriate, right. inadequately predicated, which right. appears to be the case. Yeah. People don't really remember what Watergate was. What, what was Watergate? 1972, the, the Nixon campaign team, the committee to reelect President Nixon, had, had broken into the Watergate complex, which was the DNC headquarters, and they stole some documents and they bugged some phones. Then on June 17th, 1972, it became clear that the, the bugs that they had put into place didn't work because they were pretty incompetent <laughs> on the committee to reelect the president on the dirty trick side of it. Right. So they sent more burglars in to go in and fix the bugs. They go in and they were so stupid that when they taped the doors open, they didn't tape <clears> them straight up and down so you couldn't see the tape. They taped them around the side of the door. <laughs> so any security guard walking right. by is going to see the tape, which is exactly what happened. Right. These idiots, these the three stooges, the five stooges, go in there, they tape the doors wrong, the security guard sees it before the burglars can get out, the cops are there and they arrest them. And this they, is, just to be clear, these are from the committee to reelect the president. These are not government officials. These are not government <coughs> officials. These are, got, these are hired hands, hired dirty tricksters who barely had mm -hmm. any connection even to the campaign. And, and, and it gets even, even better than that. These guys were so stupid that, and they were so disconnected, by the way, from the White House, that the, one of the reasons they connected them to Nixon is because they had the number of their handler in the Nixon campaign in their <laughs> yeah, well, personal belongings. And the, the gang time. that couldn't shoot straight. That's yeah. right, yeah. So, so after this, they get arrested, and w Nixon knows nothing about this. Even the Watergate chief prosecutor did, was certain that Nixon knew nothing mm -hmm. about it. When Nixon mm -hmm. first heard of the break-in, he asked his chief of staff, H.R. Haldeman, who was the a-hole who did it? <laughs> was the, he was really upset about okay, it. Yeah. So then at this point, <clears throat> this is where the crime comes in, is he tries to cover it up. So he uh, calls the CIA. He asks the CIA to get the FBI to stop investigating Watergate. He it pays hush money to these burglars. So the, camp, the committee didn't even know, really, these burglars that well. So they're trying to pay them off so that they can keep silent. And... Uh, and they have all of these tapes because Nixon had been secretly recording everything that he said in the White House. Right. So he's trying to exert executive privilege. He's trying to stop turning the tapes over. Eventually the tapes are ordered by the Supreme Court to get turned over. He turns over the tapes. He hands his executioners the instrument of execution, and he resigns in disgrace. Now, so what does he what does he resign over? What is it? What are the charges they because they brought impeachment charges against him? Yeah, and he resigned. And he resigned. Right. So what were the charges they bring against for him? the cover up? So for it's not yeah. for the break in. It's <clears throat> yeah. for the cover up. It's for obstructing justice. Fair enough. He, yeah. He was a secretive guy. He was a dirty trickster. Yeah. Uh, nobody's defending Richard right. Nixon's right. character in that regard. However. That is a very limited scandal that overturned, by the way, a landslide election. He won the 1972 election with 49 states. He won states. every state, but Massachusetts. But other than and, Massachusetts. And I'm not even sure Massachusetts is still in the, <laughs> yeah, in the yeah. part of the Technically, country. Technically, it's yeah. not even a state. It's a commonwealth. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, yeah. so he, what, at this point, you've got this basically limited burglary, limited break-in, yeah. bungled by idiots. And you actually, ironically, or coincidentally, I guess, you had the deep state, uh, the, the deputy <coughs> uh, former associate director of the FBI, Mark Felt, codenamed Deep Throat, right. leaking the information of this all over the press. And Woodward and Bernstein obviously get and, the most credit. And for. once again, once again, we have to say that John F. Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson lied and yeah. covered up and uh, prosecuted the Vietnam War 
in, in ways that the country would not have allowed had they known what was going on. And, you know, they had made that movie, The Post, which has one honest scene in it. It actually had a couple honest scenes where they said, you know, we never covered Kennedy like this because he was our pal. Because we were over in Hyannis. We were, you know, so it was they had personal animus against Richard Nixon. And, I mean, it was deep. And they yeah. had hated Richard Nixon from the beginning. I mean, first of all, when you talk about Kennedy being crook, it very likely stole the 1960 <laughs> election from Richard Nixon. Yeah, yeah. And they, the left and the media and the, they had hated Richard Nixon since the 40s because yeah. in the 40s, they had a beloved State Department official, Alger Hiss, who was accused of being a Soviet spy. Everyone should know this story. Yeah. And nobody remembers know, this, but Alger Hiss was accused of being a communist, a spy in the State Department. He was mm. instrumental in the foundation of the United Nations. And a former colleague of his, a former comrade of his in the Communist Party USA, Whitaker Chambers, accused him. Nobody believed him except for Richard Nixon. And Richard Nixon pursued it, and he was right. Yep. And they convicted Alger Hiss, and the left never forgave him. So they went in, using the power of the government, they overturned this election, they, they wreck his presidency. Okay, that's Richard Nixon. But we should pause there for just, and everybody who has not read the book by Whitaker Chambers Witness, it is a life-changing book. It's a beautiful, beautiful And it's piece such of work. an important for American conservatives in yes. particular. You've got to read this. I think it's, it's like canon. a founding, but it is a, mm -hmm. it's a founding book. But you have to understand that the, this Alger Hiss was a communist. Yep. And he was in the State Department, who's everything that Joe McCarthy was saying existed, right? And the people who supported him supported him on grounds of class, and they supported him because they had been communists too, and they right. thought this was the wave of the future, and I've seen the future, and it works, and we're not going to talk about, oh, the, oh, yeah, so they starved a couple of 10 million people, you know. Got to make an omelet. And so they, they really were covering up, and Nixon made them all look like fools. Right. He was a squirrely little guy. He was a weird, squirrely little man, no question about it. Very brilliant man. Yeah. And, and he was kind of a liberal president. I mean, this right. is one of the things when you look back. I, when I look back on him, I think, I still, but they hated him mm -hmm. like fire, the way they hate Trump. But in those days, you see, this is one of the things, like in those days, it was like under the radar. First of all, there were three television stations. There were three television stations, and that was the news. There was no Rush Limbaugh. There was no us. There was none, none of that stuff. So you got the news from these pl three places. And Nixon, whatever else you say about him, he had a sense of honor that he's resigned because he didn't want to tear the country apart. Now, the one thing we can say about David Donald Trump is he has no sense of honor. And, and, <laughs> yeah. like, and so when, and when you see right-wingers saying, good, that's why. Mm -hmm. That's why they, you know, I don't think it's good that the president has no sense of honor, but I, I think it's good that he would never resign right. because these clowns don't like him after they covered Barack Obama like he was the son of God. You know, in the case of Nixon, they stole the 1960 election from him and for the good of the country, because he had class and dignity, he let it go. He yep. didn't challenge it. But with monsters, they, they, they stole, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then 1972, they go after him again because they never forgave him for Alger Hiss. For the good of the country, he resigns, lets it go. Compare that to Spygate. Compare that to what has happened now. President of the United States, Richard Nixon, never weaponized the federal government to spy on his opponents, yep. to break into their headquarters. In the case of Spygate, the, just hear the facts. Attorney General Barr believes spying did occur during the 2016 presidential race. Even, even the New York Times reports spying. Even occurred. the New York Times will admit it. And as the AG said, spying on a political campaign is a big deal. Right. What was the spying? The FISA warrant on Carter Page, a Trump, a low-level Trump campaign associate, was the predicate for surveillance on the Trump campaign. The question is whether that was legitimately obtained. We know from texts between Lisa Page and Andy McCabe that there, the, 
bias of sources discussion was being debated just days before the FISA warrant application was submitted. They had trouble getting these FISA warrants through, and a very small number of these are rejected, a very large number are accepted. They still had trouble getting it through. What was the warrant based on? From everything we know, it was based on the Steele dossier, which was bought and paid for by the Clinton campaign and the Democrat National Committee. It's research through, by way of Russia. By way of Russia. (laughs) We got the information, the Steele dossier, the FBI got it from Russia. Now, what is the excuse for this? Uh, John Brennan, CIA director under Obama, James Clapper, DNI under Barack Obama, say it was just a standard counterintelligence operation. Really, they were just trying to protect Trump because there might have been a spy. (laughs) Obvious BS. If that were the case, they would have told Trump. They would have warned him. They would have worked with him. They would have allowed him to get these guys out of his campaign. They didn't do that because they weren't just having a standard operation here. They were targeting the Trump campaign. And increasingly, by the way, they're talking about the contacts between some low-level Trump campaign officials and Russia. Increasingly, it seems that those contacts were set up yeah. By the intelligence. Yes, yes I know. If this if this plays out, and if it's as bad, you know, if it, if it is as bad as Sean Hannity says it is, and some things are, you right. know, occasionally Hannity goes off, but like you know, when in the Duke rape cases, he was right straight. He should have won a prize for that, you know, and he didn't. If, if it's as, if it's even half that bad, this is way worse than Watergate. That's what I want to hear. Carl Bernstein, who always says everything is worse than Watergate. This is worse than Watergate. And, yeah. yeah, it's it's a comparable case. It's just so much worse. So, yeah. uh, on the point of Sean Hannity, I talked to Dan Bongino sometimes. Yeah. He wrote a whole book about this. Yes. First time Dan told me about this, I thought, oh, okay, I don't know if this <laughs> yeah. is... And then week after week, more of what he says it's, keeps coming true. It is amazing. What are you talking about on your show? Today we're going to be talking about how pride became not the queen of all vices, <laughs> but the most wonderful <laughs> virtue in our entire society. Because it's Pride Month, Drew. It's the vi- now it's the vice of all queens. Now it's the vice of all queens. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Don't don't write. I just okay. <laughs> all right. I can't talk that. No, that sounds good. Final reflection. Hey, you know we're talking about culture. We're talking about the fact that uh, David French says that we have to fight back in the culture, and, and that is. I think absolutely true. You cannot force people to love God. You cannot force people to be free. You can't chain people to their freedom. I mean, that is, it just doesn't work that way. But when we talk about the culture, and I go around and I talk to conservatives about how important the culture is, a lot of times we think about movies, we think about uh, TV and works of art, and people always say, well, what can I do? But the culture is us. The culture is the way we behave. The culture are the things we won't back down on. You want to talk about alpha males? Alpha males stand up for their convictions, even when the ACLU comes along and threatens to sue even when Twitter uh, chases them off their platforms, even when sponsors threaten to dump them. We are the culture. We are the culture. The way we treat each other as men and women, the way we talk to each other as men and women, the way we talk about our husbands and our wives, that is the culture too. If we want to transform the culture, it's us. It is we who are going to do it. It means standing up to the bullies of the left when they come. It means facing the dangers that come from your HR people and from the people who are going to call you on the carpet. It means all that stuff, and it means all of it being done by each of us. So it's like, if if you're one of these conservatives who doesn't like Donald Trump, well, then it's on you. It's on you to change the culture. So we don't need Donald Trump, guys like Donald Trump, to fight for us, because right now, we do. But don't forget, that is the thing. It is all, culture is all of us, and it's the way we behave every day, all the time, and when we're under pressure. You want to be an alpha male? You don't have to bulk up. You just have to stand up for what you believe, even when the pressure comes down. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. I'll see you again tomorrow.
The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey guys, over on the Matt Wall Show today, the Daily Beast, uh, you know, they decided to take vengeance on some random blue collar guy who made a negative Nancy Pelosi meme. Uh, they went searching for his personal information. They doxed him. They shamed him. They published this whole article about him. But that's pretty disturbing. That's not even the most disturbing thing about this story. We'll talk about what the most disturbing thing is today on the show. Also, um, Budweiser is celebrating, as many companies are, celebrating Pride Month this month. But specifically, uh, Budweiser decided that they wanted to celebrate asexual pride. What in God's name does that even mean? We'll try to figure that out today over on The Matt Walsh Show.